It's a new week. It's a new Monday. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. And welcome to the Roundtable, where we give you a sneak peek about what we have for you. And it uh, amounts to quite a lot. We sent people all over the country last night. Now, it was the first time in a long time that the World Meat Council met on these shores. Is that right, Susan? It is. You know, the World Meat Congress is, takes place every two years. It had been two-plus decades since it had been in the United States. So the event going through midday on Saturday had over 700 in attendance, 48 countries represented, with the, what last I heard seven different languages spoken. So. Whoa. Pretty impressive. I was going to say, when you need an interpreter just to uh, get through the topic matter, I guess that's uh, that says something about how large that kind of a conference is. What is the Ag Department working on for us today on midday? Well, coming up at 1219, we're going to hear, of course, the Nebraska Cattlemen's Ball was this weekend, a combination of their co-hosts, Natalie and Rob Marsh, and the chairman of the Cattlemen's Ball Committee, Janice Welly, will be speaking at 1219. Coming up at 1245, I will catch up with Ken Mashoff. He was in attendance at the World Meat Congress as he talks about the importance of trade to the pork industry and some interesting tweaks they'd like to see in the farm bill. Then at 117, Nebraska State Senator Kurt Friesen talks about why he signed on to the growth energy letter pushing for E15 blended fuel to be sold year-round. So a few of the things happening from the farm. Okay. Susan, thank you very much. Susan Littlefield. And now let's skip on over to Jason Jorgensen. Pretty successful Shrine Bowl game. It was a great game. They had a big crowd in Kearney. Beautiful day for it. And was one with a 50-yard field goal late in the fourth quarter. So you can't beat that. Also coming up, uh, we'll talk about the NBA Finals. Uh, Stephen Curry had a pretty decent game last night. Nine three-pointers, five in the fourth quarter to help the Warriors to the victory last night as they lead the Cavs 2-0. Cleveland will try to get back into that series, if you will, on Wednesday night when they host Game 3. They've been down before this year, and everybody starts to right off LeBron James and his bunch, and they come back and win. So, Yeah, I think by anyone's standard, that's a pretty good performance. At, yeah, it certainly was. Also, we'll talk a little bit of tennis. Uh, Serena Williams, of course, she's been trying to come back, get back to the form she had uh, before she had her first baby. Well, she is uh, pulling out of the French Open. She was supposed to play Maria Sharapova today. That match uh, will not happen. Also, this weekend's big one for uh, horse racing. We will see if Justify can capture the Triple Crown. He continues to uh, work out his big races coming up on Saturday. You will no doubt hear a lot about that because there's a chance for a, another Triple Crown. Now, that's the Belmont this time. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. So we went almost 40 years without one, and there's a chance now we can see our second Triple Crown winner in the last three. Boy, they're sure putting out some beautiful yeah, horses. They are. <laughs> Man, just head and shoulders above everything else. All right, it's uh, Bob Brogan over here on the business, Mike. Tech and retailer issues are leading gains for U.S. stocks. Stocks are rising as those uh, companies and retailers and households, goods companies, gain ground. Also today, RV maker Winnebago getting into the uh, boating action with Chris Craft Buy. They are uh, per- doing a purchase. German pharmaceutical company Bayer AG says it plans to complete its purchase of U.S. seed and uh, weed kill maker Monsanto company this week. More on that coming up. Sounds like a big deal. And we have more coming up for you on today's Midday. 
Paul Perkins steps in here. We have our regional ag weather for you now. It's brought to you by Coolman Repair. A few sprinkles, but they're dissipating. Yeah, exactly. We still can't completely rule out maybe an isolated shower popping up this afternoon. Still a small chance of it, but gradually this rain weakening as it does move towards the east. All right, and it's all been, it's almost like someone built a great wall of <laughs> weather right there along I-80 to keep it all further south. Yeah, it just doesn't get much past I-80, or I guess the, maybe the Platte River is the barrier there. But right now, yeah, still some light rain in between Holdridge and Hastings. Otherwise, some activity from about Exeter and Sutton and points to the southeast into southeast Nebraska. Nebraska, northeast Kansas, and once again, it's gradually weakening as it does move off towards the east. Our temperatures, for the most part, across the area in the low and mid-70s, where there's been a little more sunshine, though, into northern areas of Nebraska. We have temperatures into the upper 70s to around 80, and also some upper 70s in much of northern Kansas. Today and tomorrow will be generally sunny as a ridge of high pressure starts to build across the central plains. Tomorrow looks to be much warmer as that ridge gets even stronger. The ridge starts to break down, though, for the midweek. That's going to allow for some disturbances to track east for some thunderstorm chances. Temperatures will be a little bit closer to seasonal, but still warmer than normal. Our thunderstorm chances increase Wednesday night with the passage of a cold front. After that, mainly some small chances at some thunderstorms with additional weak disturbances. We could see a few storms go severe with some hail and wind as the main threats, but overall, at this time, not expecting a big severe weather threat. Mostly dry and warmer weather returns for Friday and the weekend as a strong ridge of high pressure builds across the Rockies. A disturbance sliding south down that ridge could trigger some more thunderstorms for Saturday night, but right now it's just a small chance. As that ridge strengthens, temperatures will warm more and more as we head towards the weekend. In the long-term forecast, it's very likely that temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be warmer than normal this weekend through June 17th. In fact, the highest odds of Above normal temperatures are right through the nation's midsection in that long term. In early to mid-June, daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low 80s with overnight lows on average in the upper 50s. Once again, we're expecting to be warmer than that. Below normal rainfall, unfortunately, expected in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 17th. Weather factors driving the markets include a pattern featuring periods of rain and summertime warmth in the Midwest and improving rainfall trends towards the Canadian prairies. A pair of Cold fronts tracking across the northern plains and Midwest will focus rain and thunderstorms. Five-day rain totals could reach about one to three inches in portions of the upper Midwest. That favorable weather pattern, though, expected to continue for developing corn and soybeans in the Midwest over the next 10 days. Periods of rain will also maintain adequate soil moisture despite some above to much warmer than normal temperatures. Hot weather redeveloping across the nation's midsection will expand and intensify as the week goes on. That's going to encompass much of the west and central U.S. Temperatures will routinely exceed 100 across the southern half of the plains. In the southern plains, the above to much above normal temperatures and little rain will increase the stress on their corn and soybeans. Hot and dry weather will also stress the filling wheat towards western Kansas. The soil moisture for the Canadian prairies is improving for their developing crops after moderate to heavy rain this late last week. That may delay the field work, but already planted crops will continue to benefit. And your regional ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. I'm looking at that big national map. There's just not a lot of precipitation at the moment anywhere on that map. Is it going to be a really hot affair for the whole country? Yeah, it looks like it uh, because especially in these later periods, we're looking at 
pretty much above normal temperatures across much of the nation and right in the nation's midsection. Uh, the highest chances of that will continue. But yeah, right now, just looking at the national radar, we're about one of the lone highlights with our light rain in south central and southeast Nebraska. Otherwise, maybe some rain right along the Oklahoma-Texas border. Yeah. All right. Well, it, uh, I, I think we can almost say, although it's not officially so, it's summer, and yeah. uh, so here we go, ladies and gentlemen. And when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. Farm and Biofuel Coalition demands that EPA account for lost volumes due to secretive retroactive small refinery exemptions. I'm Shaley Peters. Joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, let's take a check of your midday ag news. Today, a coalition of biofuel and agriculture groups petitioned the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to change its regulations to account for lost volumes of renewable fuel resulting from the unprecedented number of retroactive small refinery exemptions from renewable fuel standard obligations recently granted by EPA. Parties on the petition are the Renewable Fuels Association, American Coalition for Ethanol, Growth Energy, National Biodiesel Board, National Corn Growers Association, Biotechnology Industry Organization, and the National Farmers Union. The petition comes days after several ethanol and farm groups challenged three specific small refinery exemptions granted by EPA. While the lawsuit in the Tenth Circuit challenged those exemptions as wrongly decided, the petition to EPA seeks a broader, forward-looking remedy to account for the collective loss volumes caused by the unprecedented number of retroactive small refinery exemptions. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt has had a fire sale on small refinery exemptions for anyone with a stamp and an envelope, making a mockery of the President's commitment to a 15 billion gallon RFS conventional biofuel. This must end. We take no pleasure in having to litigate to protect the integrity of the RFS, but it appears we have no other recourse, said RFA CEO Bob Deneen. And as part of a 33-year effort to protect sensitive lands and improve water quality and wildlife habitat on private lands, the U.S. Department of Agriculture will resume accepting applications for the Voluntary Conservation Reserve Program. Eligible farmers, ranchers, and private landowners can sign up at their local FSA office between June 4th and August 17th. The Conservation Reserve Program is an important component of the suite of voluntary conservation programs USDA makes available to agricultural producers benefiting both the land and wildlife. On the road, I often hear firsthand how popular CRP is for our recreational sector, hunters, fishermen, conservationists, and bird watchers, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sunny Purdue said. CRP is also a powerful tool to encourage agricultural producers to set aside unproductive marginal lands that should not be farmed to reduce soil erosion, improve water quality, provide habitat for wildlife, and boost soil health. FSA stopped accepting applications last fall for CRP continuous sign-up, excluding applications for the Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program and CRP grasslands. This pause allowed USDA to review available acres and avoid exceeding the $24 million acre CRP cap set by the 2014 Farm Bill. New limited practice availability and short sign-up periods help ensure that landowners with most sensitive acreage will enroll in the program and avoid unintended competition with new and beginning farmers seeking leases. CRP enrollment currently is about 22.7 million acres. And finally, House Ag Committee Ranking Member Colin Peterson says that American tariffs on steel and aluminum imports will generate retaliation that will hit farm exports hard. 
As a result, he'll be working with the House and Senate Ag Committee leaders on a new farm bill to protect farmers from the market fluctuations caused by these actions. A USDA spokesman says President Trump will not allow American agriculture to bear the brunt of retaliatory tactics. However, in an email to the Hagstrom report, Peterson says that the administration has decided to move forward with these wrong-headed tariffs, even though farmers have repeatedly warned about retaliation from trade partners, shows that the administration isn't listening or just doesn't care. That's a look at Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. The 2018 Cattlemen's Ball got underway this past weekend near Hebron, Nebraska. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And 2018, like any other year, did not disappoint with the festivities held for cancer research. I had a chance to catch up with one of the co-hosts, Rob and Natalie Marsh, as well as chairman of the Cattlemen's Ball Committee, Janice Weedle. They talked about what it took to put this together. 1,100 volunteers, that's what it is. For two and a half years, there's been so many people helping, 50 committees, but then 1,100 volunteers have taken their time, and we've worked hard to set up a great site out here. We have been working on the ball since, for this will be about two and a half years, so, um, and it, you know, we meet once a month starting, and then we got to twice a month or so, or whenever we, it would rain and everybody could get out of the field and come for a meeting and brainstorm, and everybody had so many ideas, and we had, we had great chairman of all of our committees and they have just all pitched in and even this morning with the rain um, I walked in the tent the main tent and we've got water and tables underwater and sitting in water and people just came and cleaned off tables and hauled in wood chips and got us up and going so I mean we haven't skipped a beat and it's all because of our volunteers the marshes Rob and Natalie teamed up with Randy and Becky Herget to co-host the cattleman's ball this year and Natalie talked about why it was an especially important cause for them. For us, you know, all of our family, friends, you know, anybody that you talk to, it seems like has been touched by cancer in some way, shape, or form. Um, so that's why we're here. This is one great cause, raising money for cancer research. So it's fun to see that all of these communities come together, work together for one awesome cause. And Weedle gave her two cents on this year's co-host as well. They are the perfect choice for our hosts and co-hosts. Um, they're, they're both from the area and uh, they've worked together and they've um, they had such great ideas and they put this whole thing together with the help of all the committee chairs and all of our volunteers and it's it's just worked out great and we've we've actually sold out in tickets and that's an exciting thing for us because that's been you know our goal and our we have a goal to you know raise a lot of funds for the Fred and Pamela Buffett Research Center and um, hopefully with cancer here along the Oregon Trail. Weedle went into a little more detail on this year's theme, Whip Cancer, and some of the specific things they did to highlight that theme. It is Whip Cancer, and we wanted to focus on, uh, because Hebron's located along the Oregon Trail, and so much history along here, and so we added a history tent this year, which is first, I, we believe, first for the Cattleman's Ball, and we have a retired history teacher that's just taken that whole issue of the tent and um, everything that she was going to, um, you know, from Rock Creek Station in Jefferson County all the way through to the Narrows at Oak, Nebraska. And it is just wonderful, the stuff that she's got in that tent. And finally, I asked Weedle why she thought this year in their 21st year of the Cattlemen's Ball was unique. Because it's here. 
<laughs> I guess because it's here in our hometown and we actually have included, I think, in volunteers, uh, 90-some zip codes of all the volunteers that have helped with this whole event and it's a huge undertaking but you know what everybody has pitched in and it's just been a lot of fun actually find more coverage of the 2018 cattleman's ball by visiting ruralradio.com i'm shaylee peters and you're listening to the rural radio network You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Game 3 of the NBA Finals is Wednesday night in Cleveland. Last night, the Warriors knocked off the Cavs 122-103 in Game 2, giving the Warriors a 2-0 lead. Golden State, Stephen Curry hit an NBA Finals record 9 three-pointers and scored 33 points. Kevin Durant chipped in with 26, and Curry says the key now is to keep it going. Any of the type of those moments... Um when you can come down and answer and keep the momentum on our side, it's big. Keep the crowd into it. We'll see if Cleveland can respond on Wednesday back on their home court. Big news in tennis. Serena Williams has called off her Grand Slam comeback, pulling out of the French Open because of a chest injury before she was supposed to play Maria Sharapova. Williams made that announcement today. She and Sharapova were to play a fourth-round match at Roland Garros. Heisman Trophy winner Carson Palmer and Vince Young will make their first appearance on the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. The National Football Foundation released the names of 76 players and six coaches from major college football who will be considered for that award. The latest class of around 15 players and coaches will be announced January 7th. That's the day of the College Football National Championship. Justify has finished a five-furlough workout at Churchill Downs in preparation for the Belmont Stakes pursuit of the Triple Crown this Saturday. Trainer Bob Baffert watched the Colt cover the distance in one minute and 40 seconds with jockey Martin Garcia aboard. Now Justify looks to follow American Pharaoh's 2015 Triple Crown triumph with Baffert and become just the 13th horse to win the Derby, Preakness, and Belmont in the same year. The Colt will leave Wednesday for New York. And Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly says he's going to receive ESPN's Jimmy V Award for the toughness and perseverance that he's shown during his ongoing battle with oral cancer. Kelly says Cable Network informed him about 10 days ago that he will receive the honor at the ESPY Awards next month. He made the announcement today while attending his charitable foundation's 32nd golf tournament outside of Buffalo. The award, of course, is named after late North Carolina State University men's basketball coach Jim Valvano, who died in the early 90s due to cancer. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in Nebraska tonight with lows in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A pursuit took place in the North Platte area this morning. It apparently started at a stolen vehicle from Gothenburg and ended in the Hershey area. Shots were fired during the pursuit, and there was one injury accident involving a state trooper on the south side of North Platte's main interchange. The suspect was described as a man driving a pickup with a trailer. 145 pounds of marijuana and two men were seized after a traffic stop along I-80 in Lincoln. A sport utility vehicle was pulled over Friday near the U.S. Highway 77 exit for following too closely. A Lancaster County Sheriff's deputy says he developed a suspicion about the driver and his passenger and asked to search the SUV. The deputy reported finding the pot inside four suitcases and a duffel bag in the rear of the SUV. 
The two were arrested on suspicion of possession for sale. The campus at the University of Nebraska Kearney will be busy this summer with a number of construction projects in various stages of completion. We're going to look within the next 60 days to start to turn some dirt so the STEM building is well on its way. Also, here pretty soon, we're going to start seeing dirt be turned for the early childhood down in University Village. And so that'll be just south of our newest project down there, Village Flats, as they uh, get ready to be open this fall. And uh, we've got a big sewer project. This is going to go right down the middle of campus. And uh, the Student Union, by the way, has got a, a renovation project of its own. Chick-fil-A and, and the new Starbucks uh, should be open opening here reasonably soon, but at the same time, we've got a second phase to remodel the welcome desk, and while we're tearing it all up, we might as well do it right. The sanitary and storm sewer project will extend from the Nebraska Student Union to Thomas Hall along U.S. Highway 30, and upgrades will occur directly under the Cope Fountain, and that Cope Fountain will be removed but replaced. The fountain, dedicated to UNK in 1995, will stay in the same location near the center of campus and is expected to be operational in time for next year's spring commencement. In Kansas, two Westar Energy employees have died after suffering severe burns at the utility's largest plant for generating electricity. Westar spokeswoman confirmed that the two workers died Sunday night at the University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City, Kansas. The workers were flown by helicopter to the medical center after the accident late Sunday morning at the Jefferson Energy Center, which is about 30 miles northwest of Topeka. Storm Center coverage, always live and local. Catch it on air, Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. I'm Dave Schroeder. The World Meat Congress of last week brought in lots of folks. Internationally, over 700 people total in attendance and 48 countries represented. Ken Mashoff, who's a part of the National Pork Board, talked about the international flair. It's really, it's a great question, Susan, because it's very different than the meetings we have here in the States where we don't always see those international folks. But a lot of other folks that you'll be talking to here are involved with the Pork Board and the entities that promote uh, pork within the country here, even USMEF on the export side. But some of these folks I've already met and, and gotten to know because my involvement in the industry has been more from NPPC. So National Pork Producers Council, as you know, one of their key focuses would be uh, not only the legislative side and regulatory side on the Hill domestically, but uh, a focus on making sure we have market access and breaking down those uh, barriers to entry around the globe. So some of these folks that are here, attending here, I, I've known and have known for years and worked with them from the NPPC side. Great people. He also talked about the importance that was seen in export markets. I've had discussions uh, with the administration and, and uh, uh, trade is, is vital. Uh, we hope they understand that and uh, especially with our key uh, trading partners. We talked about China, but uh, Japan is, is, is a big one, and Mexico and Canada. Uh, NAFTA is, is key to us, and every day we hear a little bit more rumblings about some roughness in the discussions around NAFTA. Uh, you know, I think you've had other people that you've interviewed talked about the numbers. I don't need to reiterate those, but, but we export about 27% uh, of our pork, 26, 27% today, that's going to go to about 30% or 30% or, or more when all these new plants are online and this new capacity is in place. So it's imperative that uh, we have FTAs that work and it's imperative that uh, we're able to have the barriers to entry uh, in countries where we can 
very, very efficiently export to, but uh, that those barriers uh, remain open. And considering the current status of trade around the world, it's important, Mashoff said, to keep that line of communication wide open. Yeah, that's right. And so we've, we've tried to do that. We've tried to uh, uh, keep our relationships uh, very open with our trading partners abroad. There's discussions going on this morning, I know, with some of our key trading partners uh, as uh, there's just some, some, some things out there that, that are concerning to us. And so uh, we continue to do that. And like I said, we, we, we work with people in the administration. Secretary Purdue was here earlier this morning and, and reiterated as producers and people in agriculture and especially the meat industry how important uh, exports are and trade is uh, and he knows that to all of us in the room and by and large I feel those in USDA and, and we have friends in the administration that, that definitely understand that. We clearly have uh, allies on the Hill that realize that when you have an industry like the pork industry is an example that is the low-cost producer in the world and that's just not a soundbite that is when when economic professors from around the globe get together and Dermot Hayes is part of that group they've analyzed and over the last 10 years we've been the largest exporter of pork uh, there's been some years we've been displaced by a few percentage points but then we're right back in there and we are the low-cost producer of pork and we have a product that's very safe and wholesome and countries want it so I've been to probably four or five countries just this year that are potential uh, marketplaces for pork and the consumers there want our products. So the only thing that can keep a U.S. a strong 500,000 employed pork industry from exporting uh, and growing its industry here domestically is going to be barriers to entry that are geopolitical politics that in some ways are out of producers control which is as unfortunate. And sometimes uh, I think it was said uh, we need to be good patriots and take one for the team. Uh, that goes uh, so far because producers know that uh, the, the latest numbers I saw, I think it was in our press release, uh, was $18 a head was the estimate uh, that Dermot Hayes had put on to the cost of the, the tariffs that were in place in China. Now, not all of that came. There are other things that influenced that number and had an effect. But by and large, a good part of that can be attributed uh, to that. There's a lot of pork produced in this country. I personally, my brother and I own an operation that's a, that's a larger operation than most, but we sell five million animals a year. So if you can just do the math, if it's 18 or 20 dollars a head across five million, that is a huge number. It's one that will make our operation go from obviously a profitable institution uh, to, to one that cannot survive. So we have to get things fixed. And like all segments of agriculture, the pork industry keeping a close eye on the farm bill. Approach, uh, back in 2016 already, we started look at the industry and we said that a foreign animal disease affecting our industry, whether it be beef, pork, or, or for that matter, uh, uh, dairy, any industry that would be affected by a foreign animal disease that exports a large percentage of their product. Uh, pork exports more as a percentage-wise than any other animal protein, but dairy and, and uh, beef are right there, right behind us. So it's important to all of us that we not ever have a trade-restricting disease affect the country. My conversation with Ken Mashoff during the World Meat Congress taking place in Dallas, Texas. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade next with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? 
Yeah, wasn't a very good day uh, for uh, for livestock today. Uh, started out on a Monday uh, with lower markets all the way through. Uh, we did try and make a comeback in the uh, in the cattle. We did move higher for a while, uh, based upon uh, the late sales that took place uh, uh, Friday. And but uh, talk of uh, tariffs still in the uh, air, and that uh, that's the thing that put everything on the defensive today. Uh, so cattle closed lower, feeders closed lower, even the hogs closed lower. This despite the fact that the cutouts on both cattle and hogs were higher at noon. Cash, uh, like I mentioned, was higher in the cattle late Friday, uh, but it was higher today in the uh, hogs. Uh, and that just didn't uh, seem to make any difference. I mean, it did uh, bring back uh, from their lows the uh, trade, but uh, overall, it was just a down day to start the week, and uh, we could see uh, a bounce back tomorrow, depending upon uh, what kind of uh, news comes out about these tariffs. That seems to be the uh, controlling factor at this point, not uh, necessarily the markets. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal can be reached at Great Plains Commodities at 800-328-0134. Total cattle slaughter today has been estimated at 116,000. Last week was the holiday. 1,000 less than the same Monday a year ago. Hog slaughter projected 449,000. That'd be 3,000 more than the same Monday of one year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. E15 and renewable fuels, the debate continues and Nebraska legislators and Nebraska ag leaders are getting involved in the fight and pushing to see E15 fuels sold year-round. We find out more right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Talking about us this today is Senator Friesen. And, Senator, I think this is the greatest day to talk about this recent letter you signed because you're actually hauling corn right now to a local ethanol plant. But tell us more about this uh, letter you signed along with 55 other community leaders, 10, 11 of which were from Nebraska, with Growth Energy trying to push for E15 year-round. Well, I think the, the E15 debate has been going on for a number of years, and then with the, the RVP rule that they have in place. And we've been trying to get the, the blend up to that E15 level year-round because we had, do have a huge surplus of ethanol in the state and in the U.S. So if we can burn more of it locally, it just makes a lot more sense. Press release from Growth Energy. We talk about outdated fuel standards. Can you expand on that and kind of relate to us what is outdated with our current set of fuel standards in the U.S.? Well, the, the RFS was created a number of years ago to to make sure that the oil companies blended um, ethanol into their fuel. And along with that, when the, when the E15 was tested, they put into place a, the RVP, it's the reed vapor pressure rule. And so when the summer temperatures come up, they had to discontinue selling the E15 blend because it, it vaporized too much. But with you know the current tank technology that everyone is using i just don't think that's a factor anymore and and to me that rule could be taken away and e15 could be available year round instead of just in, in the winter months and with this reed vapor pressure and the possibility of uh, ethanol blended type fuels evaporating too quickly is there a, a way to lobby to have a lot of those studies redone or looked at again to evaluate to see where that is to help continue making this case 
I think E15 has been tested more than any other motor fuel in history. So the data is already there. It's just a matter of everybody's been saying that we, we want to update it, but it just doesn't seem to be happening. I, and I, I'm not sure why, if it's pushback from the oil companies or just what the reason is, they just can't seem to get it moved forward. Senator Friesen, as we continue to move forward, what can producers do to keep pushing for ethanol and uh, higher blended fuels being sold year-round? Well, I think, first of all, we have to use it when it's available and make sure that we're the ones filling our tanks with it. And we need to keep calling our congressional delegation when we're talking with them whenever they hold their summer meetings across the state. Um, we've had numerous opportunities, I think, with them traveling across the state this year and the election year, and I think we just need to impress upon them how important it is for Nebraska. Final question, Senator, from your position as a Nebraska State Senator, what is your plan to keep pushing for E15 year-round? I'll keep pushing our congressional delegation, and I'll sign on to letters and join with others in helping to push the EPA to advance those standards, and if there's anything we can do in this next session uh, to promote that E15 possibility, we'll do it. But it's mostly a federal issue, but I think we can just put put more pressure on the EPA and, and the president um, through our efforts to, to promote that E15, and we'll just keep working at it. That's Senator Friesen talking to us right here on the Rural Radio Network about a recent letter he signed with 55 other community leaders, 11 from Nebraska included in that, with Growth Energy promoting and pushing for ethanol and E15 blended fuels to be sold year-round. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Not till a lot of positive news uh, coming out of the grain or the livestock futures for that matter, as we had double-digit losses and some heavy losses in the entire grain and soybean uh, complex. So with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. A positive note, maybe a little, December corn closing above that $4 mark. I guess we're going to call it good news. They'll take it. <laughs> it's uh, certainly one of those ugly days. Really, it's been uh, amazing how the forecast, which showed just tremendous amount of heat, especially over your part of the world, um, and has really come to fruition uh, across Texas, especially. Um, you know, we're down almost 27 cents from the high Sunday night when everybody was bullish. So it feels as op- as as drastic on the other side now. So you got a lot of give up mentality uh, across the Chicago Board of Trade, and not just in corn, beans, and wheat, and southern markets as well. Uh, currencies are really falling versus the U.S. dollar, and uh, you know the bulls are, are kind of caving to the break, so to speak. I'd agree with the market falling. I, I think if, if this was another month and a half down the road, or a month down the road, but it, to me, it's just too early. You know, I mean, I look, exam- for example, down in Texas, the those guys down there in the central part of the state, they do okay. I think that, you know, a good year, they might do 150 bushels an acre. They're doing 40 now, and that was two weeks ago. They might have had a, a, one of the best crops they've ever had. So things can change really quickly. Right now, forecasts, and, you know, you and I talked before going on the radio, these forecasts are, are changeable so quickly, but they are calling for, for more rain over Iowa than they were. So a big swath of the central part of the Corn Belt is just, looks fantastic uh, as far as forecasts go and until that changes I don't know if we'll get the the money coming back into the markets uh, but I certainly hope so I mean I'd like to think that there's upside here demand is in, is solid and nothing's really changed over the last two weeks the Oklahoma wheat harvest of course uh, getting rolling 
The next week we'll be seeing some significant progress. Uh, lost in all this is the abandoned acres, I think. Yeah, that, that'll be the big key. I have, uh, folks, I don't know if you guys get uh, down in haze or not, but if you're down in haze, some guys tell me that they usually get uh, rust on their, on their wheat crop at this time of the year, and they're not because this, the harvest down south is really not happening. And so... Um, that's kind of an indicator for me that, you know, we're going to see supplies a little smaller than, than maybe we thought, regardless of the yields. But at this point, it's a money flow game, and we're essentially a buck, almost 50, 60 cents above where we were a year ago at this time. And I look for my prices to probably fall a little further here as we, before we get up. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.